legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Thomas Lombardo. Inspired by his latest book, Essays on the Future of Psychology and Consciousness, Thomas and I discuss the potential for the evolution of human consciousness in 2022 and beyond. Spanning over 20 years of future studies, psychology, philosophy and science fiction, Essays on the Future of Psychology and Consciousness comprehensively addresses a critically important issue regarding the future of humanity. How may human consciousness transform and evolve in the future? Topics covered include psychological growth versus stagnation, coping with rapid social and technological change, the primacy and mystery of consciousness, the technological augmentation of the human mind, pop psychology and the ongoing transformation of mental health and mental illness, technological immersion, virtual reality and why cyborgs, ethics, evil and disasters in the future, science fiction visions of the future of the human mind, ecological and cosmic consciousness, and much more. Hello and welcome, Tom, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Yes. Uh, hello, Greg. How are you today? Very well, thank you. How are you? You're looking very well, I must say. Yes, I'm uh, doing well. Uh, uh, busy as always, um, and uh, but um, uh, ready to have an interesting conversation. Well, we always do. How's the weather there? I ask because uh, the, the seasons have definitely changed here. The trees are changing color and there's definitely a chill in there. It was very cold this morning. Yeah, actually in Arizona, in the part of Arizona I'm in down in Phoenix, our summers last about six months. So we haven't reached the end of our summer yet. And uh, today the uh, it's bright and sunny and the temperature will go over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Our fall or autumn doesn't begin until around the middle of October to the latter part of October, where you start to see a noticeable drop in temperature. Uh, right now, there hasn't been too much of a drop in temperature at all from July. It stays stays very hot here through from the middle of um, middle or beginning of May until the middle of October. Yeah, I don't think I could hack that. But uh, anyway, we've done the very British thing of sharing weather updates. So um, today we're having a conversation uh, inspired by a recent book of yours, which is actually a collection of essays. Uh, it's entitled The Future of Psychology and Consciousness. Now, you and I have done a number of interviews over several years. First one started out with um, your book, Future Consciousness, uh, from a few years ago. And I think the last talk we did was maybe around 
human psychology and consciousness in respect of the pandemic that we went through, you know, that that crisis. Uh, but before we dive into our chat, just explain to listeners the genesis of this book, because as mentioned, it's essay spanning quite a long period of time. Uh, yes, um, I've been interested in um, psychology and the study of consciousness and the future of human psychology and consciousness for um, at least uh, 25, maybe 30 years. And over that period of time, I've written a number of books on the topic. But I've also been writing various articles, shorter pieces of work along the way. And about 10 years ago, I published a collection of essays, uh, Wisdom, Consciousness, and the Future, which dealt with the nature of consciousness and mind and the future of consciousness and mind. Um, and um, uh, over uh, the last year, I've been thinking about doing a, a new book on uh, the future of consciousness and mind. I did a couple presentations on it, and I realized that uh, <clears throat> there were at least 10 or 15 essays that I had written on that topic <clears throat> that I had never published in book form. And the essays actually stretched all the way back to the year 2000 when I did, uh, I think, the first extended essay I ever wrote on the future of human psychology. So I decided that I would collect together all of these uh, additional essays that I had written over the last 20 plus years and uh, uh, put them together into a book. And the essays run from uh, the year 2002, I think, the first one, up until last year when I wrote a new, uh, a series of essays dealing with um, uh, political consciousness, the pandemic, and things related to, the, to contemporary issues. Uh, and I included them all in this book. So it shows the development of my thinking and my particular interests on the topic of consciousness and psychology, uh, which uh, I would write out in uh, essay or article length form. Uh, so, and I've been doing, and I, like I said, I've been do, you know, been writing articles for 20 years and I already had one collection. And this is the second collection coming right up to the present. Well, as mentioned, our first interview a few years ago was inspired by your book, Future Consciousness, and that caught my imagination as presented ways of, of thinking about self-directed evolution for yes. the human race, you know, in terms of our psychology, which of course affects everything else. Our state of consciousness affects everything. This was to say yes. nothing of potential future biological evolution. That's related, of course, but but but, yes. but separate in a way. Uh, and then later we talked about science fiction. We're both very passionate about that. You're you're an expert in the field. I can't think of anyone that I've talked to over the years that that, that apparently knows more about um, science fiction than you do. And thank, so, thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting to as a fan myself. It's very exciting to read uh, you bringing science fiction into uh, into the realms of of human evolution and our future of consciousness. Uh, we Inevitably, you were someone I wanted to speak to around the time of the pandemic because of the huge <laughs> effect that had, the, the positive potential that we could see 
um, within the, this, you know, this huge collective trauma that was happening, you know, the transformation through trauma being a sort of uh, a psychological phenomena, phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and we all, I guess, wondered what would happen when, <clears throat> with the, the, the pandemic situation, it would eventually abate, I suppose. There was the, you know, the, the medical side of it, but then there was also the social, political, and economic and psychological side of it, all these different dynamics at play. Yes. And what seems to have happened, certainly in terms of popular consciousness, you know, being informed by the mainstream media, you know, by the technological uh, factors at play here, social, political and economic as well, is that we seem to have just pitched into another long emergency, to use to borrow James Howard Kunstler's phrase. Uh, it's one bad news story after another, really. Some of the stories related to situations or crises that were converging prior to the pandemic some seemingly feeding on from that and i've spoken to other guests about this and will be i don't know how you find it your side of the pond or how much you pay attention to the mainstream media as to say where most people get their information from but really it's it's been an another an ongoing assault on the senses because it seemed to flip from pandemic coverage to uh russia ukraine war coverage i mean that, that flip happened pretty much on the same day yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have a number of comments on what you just said. Um, first thing is that throughout our history, the history of humanity, we have had uh, a continual series of challenges, problems, transformations. That's the nature of existence, of human existence, to having to cope with um, uh, whether it's catastrophes, big changes in our society, environmental, ecological problems, uh, resource problems, war, etc., etc., um, and uh, our our challenge has always been to uh, attempt to uh, guide the uh, uh, human society and guide our minds such that we can successfully cope and deal with, address the challenges that perpetually face us. Uh, as you know, uh, Greg, I'm an evolutionist, and I see reality in general as uh, dynamical, changing, transformational. There's no steady state. There's no peace and quiet in our existence. And so it's a test, a, a continual test of, of us to um, uh, address these problems, address these challenges. And, uh, and one basic uh, point I make in uh, this new book over and over again, and I've made before, is that given the nature of the challenges and problems we face, we really do need to evolve, develop individually and collectively our mental capacities and our consciousness. Uh, I, I believe it would take a long time to go into the details of this, but most of our problems are due to the way we think and the way our consciousness operates. Uh, we create our problems. And as such, 
if we're going to solve them, if we're going to address them, we have to change how we think. Uh, uh, in in uh, one case uh, that uh, is a big, a big ongoing concern of uh, uh, collective humanity right now, aside from the ones you mentioned, is uh, climate change. And climate change is due to the fact that over the last few uh, centuries, when we uh, expanded industry and human civilization, uh, we didn't think out very far ahead as to what would be the long-term consequences of what we were doing. We were too focused on the narrow immediate here and now. We had a limited sphere or expanse of consciousness. And so things that were going to happen as a result of actions that we took, we didn't take those into account. We didn't think them through. And so now we've got a process of ecological transformation going, and it's uh, a, a, a big transformational event that is affecting us all that we, in fact, instigated by not thinking out far ahead to begin with. I would offer, by the way, at this juncture, because I know <clears throat> from feedback from over the years uh, in all sorts of ways coming to me uh, that there will be people who their reaction to what you said will be climate change is not caused by human action. All I would simply say is set aside for one minute what you believe about that or what you think you know about that. The fact is that we do, as a species, behave in ways, short-term thinking, that bring unintended consequences which are negative. Let's just agree on that. That's certainly the case. And you can think what you like about causes of climate change, um, where they come from, but we certainly do things, and there are environmental problems undoubtedly caused by human action. So that, that's, that's simply all I would say, is one of the issues that we have with our our state of consciousness is uh, either or black and white, which side are you on sort of thing. It's very adversarial and confrontational. We see this mirrored in our political systems, for example, here in the UK and also in the US, people literally sitting opposite each other, shouting at each other. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and in fact, uh, uh, Greg, I didn't mean to imply, uh, if I understand, if I'm correct in my guess, I didn't mean to imply that people... Uh, who uh, present the view that climate change is not due to humans, if what they're thinking there, and I think this is what they're thinking, is that there's fluctuations in the climate of the earth that are long-term natural cyclic processes that go on on the earth, of course that's true, but we have intensified the uh, rate and degree of these ecological environmental changes. It's not, not the, the earth is not a stable system in some absolute sense. Okay, granted that. And changes do happen in terms of the climate. Okay, but we've intensified it. But it also makes the point, and this goes back to something I said five minutes ago, we live in a dynamic, changing reality. The, our, our challenge has been and continues to be what kind of a level of mentality of consciousness do we need in order to thrive, 
flourish constructively move forward in a reality that doesn't stay stable in the long or the short run. Now, you could say it's due to humans, and I say it's in part due to humans, and it's in part due to the very nature of nature. But we can't hope for some kind of stable reality, some peace and quiet. That's not the nature of existence. And we add into it by the things we do. We make it even more um, uh, transformational. Uh, so that's my response back. And I maybe I'm assuming a different kind of argument from the people who say that it's not due to humans, but anybody who thinks that the immense effect of uh, human civilization, human industry, human population, human food consumption is not having a notable effect on the earth that we exist in, in my mind, is an idiot. <laughs> No, you only have to go, uh, you know, yeah. you only have to go and look at, um, you know, the, the, the city dump, you know, like outside any major right. urban area and look at all this, look at the landfill, uh, look at problems with pollution, you know, with effluents dumped in waterways and what have you. Yeah. So yeah, of course we make these problems. Of course we despoil yeah. the earth. And meanwhile, as you said, the natural systems and the earth are doing their own churning. Yeah, they're doing their own churning on top of it all. Yes, right. Yeah, yes. So it's all in there. Yeah. But there's, I suppose there's kind of a metaphor in there for, you talked about, you know, this dynamical system that is the earth and, and we're part of that. All life on earth is part of this cycle as well. If you then zoom into or narrow it down to a recent situation, you know, the upheaval, we had the 2007, 2008 financial crisis, for example, and there's been yeah. many, many similar things in living memory. But when we went through the pandemic, it was so disruptive for so many people and so traumatic for so many people and so divisive that I think that people were so ready for just some respite and relief. And yeah, because, it could that, be. because that yeah. doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem to have happened, of course. And then, no. and, and people are kind of exhausted. So it's a way of adjusting our expectations, I think, because a lot of our political systems, political leaders and, and social structures, they kind of present this picture of life, certainly in industrialized nations, of quote-unquote happiness, of something you can aspire to that is like stability, uh, maybe even boring stability, but some kind of predictable future within fairly narrow margins, margins that we have con well a great degree of control over, because nobody likes um, a curveball chucked into the middle of their affairs, a grenade thrown into the middle of their life. It can be transformational, but our instinctively our reaction is like, this is bad. If it's upheaval, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as speaking as a psychologist, um, from a long, long time ago, I had come to the conclusion that when we look at human motivation, human motivation has this dual dimension to it, almost oppositional dimension, which is on one hand, we're attracted to stability, security, minimizing risks. That's one dimension of human motivation. But the other dimension of human motivation is uh, the pursuit of change and growth and transformation. And throughout our history, these two, these two drives have been in a kind of, uh, been in a, a dynamic interaction with each other. We, we want stability. We want security. And 
to some degree, we do get it intermittently, but at the same time, we pursue growth, we pursue change. And the world that we live in is a combination of stability and change. It's a combination of predictability and surprise. So even if we have this human desire is integral to us to want to have that stable world, that stable existence, it's carried to an extreme. It's unrealistic. It's fundamentally, it's just not going to happen. It never has happened and never will happen because our reality is a mixture of stability and change, of predictability and surprises. So when people say, well, let's get back to the normal before the pandemic, we won't go back to what we were before the pandemic. We're going someplace else instead, wherever that happens to be. But it's not a return to where we were before. We can, you know, you can never go home again. You can never go back to the way it was before. Sooner or later, you sort of get that message that reality does not go backwards. I mean, like right now, uh, just to add one extra little thing on that, Greg, is that throughout our history, there have been this, uh, have been forces that wanted to go back to the good old days, that wanted to regress that didn't like the way things were going and wanted to return things to the way they were before. The regressive movement and tendency in humans, at least humans, uh, uh, a significant portion of humans at different times. We see this even today, wanting to go back, this regressive tendency in humanity. But we can't, uh, even if we try to do it, we don't end up really achieving that. We're always going to be pushed into something new, something different, something that's surprising. So, you know, part of evolving our conscious minds is to be able to um, uh, appreciate, understand, cope with, in fact, flourish within a world that is not stable. That's a test. That's part of what we need in terms of our evolution, our conscious evolution, to uh, uh, appreciate that we're in an evolutionary transformational reality and to be able to thrive in it, um, as opposed to want to go backwards, as opposed to want to keep things the same way. Um, those are my thoughts on that. That's part of what's in this new book, but it's in earlier books besides. Well, I think a lot of the, when you really look at it, a lot of the post-pandemic prescriptions offered under the guise of, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum and their great reset agenda, Klaus Schwab's book of the same name, which I've read, and it was incredibly hard work to get through. It was really incredibly dull. It's dressed up as technological innovation, you know, high-tech solutions for our problems. It's progressive. It's That's how it's projected. But I don't see it that way at all. I see it as a way of trying to put another iron grid of of control and and management and uh you know predictability and a, a narrow you know bandwidth of human thought and action onto our affairs yet again as a way of um supposedly avoiding future crises i don't i, I don't see it as a evolutionary drive whatsoever um one of my okay. oh yeah good point you have a good point there it's a good thing to talk about when i talk about 
the evolution of consciousness, the evolution of the human mind. Um, and I say that that's important. Um, I usually will include there that uh, as a starting point, we might believe that what we need are, are or more advanced forms of technology or uh, uh, more um, uh, advanced economic systems uh, in order to address uh, our problems today and create a better, create a good future. I would say, though, again, that's not where the solution primarily lies. The solution primarily lies in evolving our own minds and consciousness. That we are inextricably linked up with technologies, but the center of gravity, the fundamental priority should be developing our minds as opposed to the development of new gadgets. If we develop new gadgets, they should serve the development of mind or consciousness and not vice versa. And you do raise another point there, which was that you took that new book that you had been reading as an attempt to uh, uh, control reality with a new system, unquote, new system of technologies. Um, but somebody could argue that just simply having a new system of technologies is still the same old thing all over again, just with better toys now. And it's not really new and different. It's just a different variation on the same old tune. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, 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 I uh, what is it? I, um, I react uh, in agreement with you in, in that uh, our, our solution is not, is not going to be by uh, creating better contraptions. Uh, and I'm not just divorcing that. I'm just simply saying our focus, our emphasis has got to be on our own psyches, our own minds, our own consciousness. That's where the um, uh, key is to moving into a good future. Yeah, because a lot of um, what we've seen in recent decades has been some, and, and certainly the, some of the post-pandemic plans have seemed even more like this, is a kind of a, a handover of our, our, our minds, our intelligence, our conscious evolution to technology. It's kind of, well, technology will do all this for us. I first saw this when computers became affordable for people to have in mm -hmm. their homes, you know, certainly even calculators. I remember we were worried about pocket calculators in the 70s and 80s, and we weren't allowed them in class when I was young because the uh, school authorities were worried that we'd lose our ability to do mental arithmetic. Yes. Even, right. even to this day, if you give me a piece of fairly complex long division to do on paper i'm sorry i won't be able to do it i can't remember how to do it partly through oh. just not doing it but i've just used just tapping little gadget and getting the answers out so a lot of the so-called technical advancement or technological advancement has just felt like you know deferring to technology and it ha it's almost seen a dumbing down in, in many um aspects of our you know of, of our, our, our mental lives and of our consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll comment on that one, too. We as uh, a species have for actually, I would say, at least a million years been 
intimately connected into our various technologies as we have been developing them from simple technologies for hunting and food storage to transportation devices. And technology is a pervasive feature of humanity. It always has been. I don't think we can, uh, it would be foolish to think we can give it up or, or, or abandon it. But what we have to do, rather, is to create and use technologies that are going to support and amplify our mental development as opposed to ones that diminish it or interfere with it. So I make a joke about smartphones, for example. And I'll say, they're not smartphones, they're dumb phones. Because what they do is they have a negative effect on your cognitive abilities. For example, they make your mind much more distracted and flighty, and you can't sit and focus on anything for extended periods of time because the machine has afforded now this kind of jumpy, scattered consciousness. That's not very good for our minds. For, you know, we, we talked about the calculators and forgetting how to do arithmetic. And now we have uh, these mechanisms that uh, interfere with sustained cognition. That's not benefiting us mentally. So what do we have to, when we create machines and when we use machines, we have to think about, are they doing our minds good? Are they benefiting it? Uh, people have said, that uh, and studies have been done, and uh, we could look into this in more depth, but I think the studies are, are fairly uh, solid, that uh, extended periods of time on social media and smartphones increase the chances of, of uh, uh, increased levels of anxiety and depression in people. That's not a good effect for uh, having it on our, uh, having that effect on our minds. If indeed that's what's happening by staying too tethered into and hooked on to those contraptions. But again, humans are technological beings. We're cyborgs. We're a combination of the biological and the technological. It's a question of how the technologies we develop, how we use them, what we use them for, if they're going to be of benefit to us mentally, socially, or they're going to harm us or have negative effects upon us. And a lot of them have had negative effects upon us um, uh, uh, throughout the ages, and we see it today. Uh, but I wouldn't give up my computer, and neither were you, because for one thing right now, Greg, it is an amazing fact that you're 6,000, 7,000 miles away from me and vice versa, and we're having a real-time conversation due to our technological devices. That's interesting. Uh, that's rather amazing. You know, people of 200 years ago would have found that incredibly uh, flabbergasting, that, hey, we can talk to anybody anywhere around the world and become friends with them on top of it all with our technologies. As far back as the 80s, I was reading science fiction stories, some of which written in decades prior to that, which were talking about, they were looking to the 
the fairly near future, usually some point in the 21st century and beyond. Yeah. And some of them, it was, you know, it's pure science fiction, purely speculative, but some of it was really rooted in developments which are coming down the line. Yeah. You know, that sort of science fiction that really rings true because it's, oh, hey, this has already begun. It spoke about the, the coming age as one of the evolution of mind, not that technology would cease to develop, um, or even that human bodies might change in future, but this would be the, the era of the development and the evolution of the mind, you know, the inner work would be the, yeah. the, the landscape of, of the, of the coming future. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>